0: Welcome back to another episode of The Nature of Scientific Disciplines. In this episode, we are going to talk about how science and society interact. Today,
1: we're going to talk about science and society. And my name is Pavlo.
0: Hi, I'm Meryl.
1: And I'm Anna. So let's kick off the episode. In a bit, each of us will be talking about their respective discipline and topic from the podcast series. But first, let me lay out the theory in brief. So science and society are interwoven in a dynamic relationship. While science propels society to new technological heights, giving birth to new technological breakthroughs and deeply changing the fabric of society along the way, society informs science of its needs and provides guidance. The cherry on top should be science keeping society in the loop of novel developments. But that is at least the theory behind their relationship. We all know that clean cut, dry theory and wet and messy reality only share so much of an overlap. So what is happening here in reality, day to day? I'm going to kick it off with physics. When it comes to physics, the theory seems to hold water. In the cutting edge field of metamaterials, the patterns of interaction between science and society pan out. Regarding applications, they're not just there, they even have great potential. On the words of Anastasia Krushinska,
2: we can apply these materials to solve some burning problems.
1: To refresh your memory, Anastasia was working on materials able to attenuate sound waves and vibrations of any kind, from sound to vibration to earthquakes and even temperature is in the mix. She's stoked to explore applications.
2: I have very high expectations and uh, currently I have three projects started that uh, will rely on this results obtained in this paper. Because with this technique we know the way how to use metamaterials, how to model them, how to predict their properties correctly. And now we can use this knowledge to apply these materials in different fields. For example, one of the directions is to use metamaterials to control fluid flows
1: might sound somewhat abstract, but they are also very relatable applications each of us would love.
2: Uh, Another application is that uh, we want to use metamaterials to control uh, vibrations induced by trains.
1: But also sound barriers of different kinds.
2: In particular 3D printing metamaterials to develop new generation of sound barriers for highways, uh, for airport applications.
1: Finally, serene peace. But there is more, preventing destruction for people living in areas prone to earthquakes.
2: We have phononic materials that can attenuate seismic waves. Not influence, but uh, minimize uh, negative consequences. We cannot influence the source, but uh, we can use uh, phononic materials to isolate buildings or foundations of the buildings from these waves by attenuating or redirecting these waves in the direction that can be more or less safe.
1: So here, science is very beneficial for society. And how is the relation the other way around? Is society informing science? Is science keeping society in the loop?
2: I think in the metamaterial community, many researchers are quite active in science communication. You can find a lot of videos on YouTube and also um, general audience-oriented articles. And, uh, of course, there are some really great examples like researchers who consider science communication as an important part of their uh, scientific careers, and uh, the others are more focused on just doing research.
1: So in the case of metamaterials, we have a pristine example of a healthy relationship between science and society. Specifically, Anastasia herself, however, is also an outstanding example due to her own initiative.
2: I think it's very important to communicate scientific results to high school students and uh, to secondary school students. And for that, uh, I'm a part of Dutch organization of women, which organizes activities to attract more girls in science. And uh, from time to time, we go to secondary schools and explain to the girls there that science is fun, it can be interesting, it's not scary at all. So it's not science communication, but for me it's part of it uh, because we try to make science more attractive for, for young generation. Such activities also influenced my career to, at certain moments in the past, but also they give an opportunity to look at, at what I'm doing from a slightly different point of view.
1: So she covers STEM and youth and even more.
2: And also I take part in the technology festivals organized by NWO. It's also a nice way to bring scientific results, not maybe to general, but to more industry-related audience and to a broader range of researchers.
1: So overall, in the case of physics and metamaterials, and Anastasia in particular, theory and mass reality have a perfect fit.
0: A similar argument can be made for some biology research and society. Take, for example, Sonja Billerweck from the biology episode. She's a microbiologist that is working on yeast and wants to use that to address global challenges. A noble goal, but it might be hard to imagine how yeast can have such a huge impact. Let's listen to Sonja explain. I like the
3: idea of using microbiology, the different functions of microbes, to think about how we can use them to address global challenges. And one of the challenges that I find a bit under addressed in this realm of synthetic biology is the problem of fungal diseases. So the fact that fungi can infect humans, but also plants, and they spoil our food, and that poses a huge threat or problem to human health, but also food security. So I wanted to study ways how we can uh,
0: address this challenge. So what I learned from this is that there is a threat coming from fungi. And that they not only cause food spillage, but they can also infect humans. Of course this is not a new problem and mold has been dealt with for many many years, but Sonya says a new method is needed to protect this in the future. Now that we are figuring out that pesticides are not the best for the environment, I mean I could explain it, but let's listen to Sonya herself she can probably do it better.
3: So whenever you think of like, you know, fungal pests that you know affect plants, people immediately spray like pesticides. So that's just like a default approach to kind of avoid uh, harvest losses. This has led actually to accumulation of uh, pesticides in the ground. And this now leads to also other fungi that infect us humans becoming already resistant. So we, there's really an urgent need to find new ways to fight fungi, which is difficult because fungi are eukaryotes, so they're closely related to human cells. So that means it's really difficult to find targets that specifically kill fungi and not affect the plants or the humans. So this is why I saw this warfare approach where yeast fights each other, which is often a relatively specific interactions so where yeast only fight other yeast, but maybe not bacteria or other cells around. I thought maybe we find new ways and modes in there, how to target fungi. Often also like in a, in a specific way that we then, for example, only kill the pathogen, but leave the other kind of like ecosystem alone. So, and I mean, the, the term food security is also a big term because for us, it might not matter. We never suffer from like, you know, any food shortage, but overall you can imagine that about 30% of all crops that are supposed to be harvested are lost due to fungal disease. So 30% of all crops yearly are lost. So if you could kind of save that, it would actually save a lot of space and resources
0: Listening to Sonja, I think it's pretty impressive that we could use yeast as a way to fight fungal pests. And that she as a scientist is specifically working on a real-world problem. It is not always the case that scientists come up with solutions to ongoing problems, but this is a great example where this is the case. But how did she start working on this? Well, she was inspired by the UN sustainability goals.
3: I definitely take, for example, the UN sustainability goals as like inspiration, where I look into kind of big challenges have been identified by a bunch of like very knowledgeable people. And how can we use microbes to address them? How have they been addressed in the past and, you know, what is coming? So, yeah, definitely. I also like a lot to talk to and collaborate with industry partners, which are also kind of part of society, I guess, because they give me a lot of feedback, what makes sense and what doesn't make sense in terms of product development.
0: So within microbiology, this yeast research is immediately useful for society. Sonja is already working together with industry and looking at how to best apply this to solve food shortages. However, not every subject has a direct application. Here the way scientists communicate also plays a big role. Sometimes a minor improvement might be a big deal in the world of academics, but it's hard to understand for anyone who's not an expert. Scientists have an obligation to communicate with society on their work, but as for how to tackle this, well, Sonja has several methods. I guess I trial a bit. So I
3: have been in a couple of these podcasts, which are mostly geared towards other scientifically interested people. So then I kind of, it, it's fun to communicate it, but it, it's actually very difficult to know how it comes across and how people understand. So I definitely have different channels I communicate, like my website, I write sometimes, you know, blog posts or I do interactions with the public but for me it's also always interesting to get feedback so what do people actually learn from that because it's sometimes surprising what the take-home messages i wanted to give are very different from like what people actually took home so i also sometimes ask friends to maybe listen to it and like tell me what they think i'm doing and to match this so that's a bit my approach to kind of just spread the word and but also get feedback on seeing how it arrives at the world.
4: That was the case of Sonja Willerbeck, but now let's have a look at a different case. Because sometimes society doesn't really directly influence science. Even if the opposite is true and the science does directly influence society. Let's take the paper we discussed in the chemistry episode for example. We inquired with Sebastian about the influence of society on his paper, so let's have a listen to what he had to say. Well, indirectly obviously and via this
5: consortium, because it's a partly um, governmentally funded um, consortium, um, so that, that's more, more of an indirect uh, influence. Um, but there's also then more a personal interest that, well, I, I believe that we do have to change. So um, as a researcher, I can decide what I want to work on and then I I'd rather work on something something new um, to, to actually
4: make a change than, than doing the same over and over again. So while society is indirectly involved in his research through government funding, the real main motivation for his research is first and foremost his own personal interest. That said, it is clear that Sebastian is aiming to make improvements that will benefit society as a whole, even if society didn't explicitly ask for these specific improvements. As for the impact and improvement he is trying to make on society, we already discussed that in-depth in the chemistry episode of the podcast, but let's quickly listen to it again. As far as I understand, what, what are common
5: applications or common challenges in, in the coating industry is everything which is exposed to uh, to the environment. Um, if you have steel pipes, you don't want them to, to rust after a while. Um, if you have wind turbines, uh, you want them to be to be shielded from all kinds of. Um, external influences uh, by by, the weather, Um,
4: that's sort of what I understood were were the main challenges and they they hope to address this. Right. Sebastian was using an electrochemistry method to produce the building blocks for the coatings he mentioned, making both the chemistry and the product more sustainable and better for the environment. But even if society didn't directly influence his research, that doesn't mean Sebastian isn't letting others know about what he did and what he found. He actively engages in public outreach both towards researchers and a broader audience. Both of these require a different methods. so let's have a listen to how Sebastian reaches out to fellow researchers first. Um, yeah,
5: most mostly in in, in written formats, um, but also on conferences. Um, not necessarily, s- well, it, it's because we are, we are mixing two fields here. We're mixing the, the the sugar chemistry and we're mixing the electrochemistry. Um, and I would generally say that uh, the... That the typical uh, sugar chemist would not know anything about electrochemistry and the typical electrochemist uh, would not know anything about sugars. Um, and, and bridging these two fields on on the t- two different types of, of scientific communities is already um, quite challenging, I can say. Um, I have seen that uh, from from own experience on a, on a few conferences and, and uh, lectures. But it's also a lot of fun because it really opened or opens
4: their horizon a bit bit more and and makes them aware of what else can be possible. But his papers and conferences are largely only read and attended by scientists like Sebastian himself. But Sebastian also wants to reach out to a broader audience, so let's have a listen to how he reaches a broader audience. But then also, giving uh, talking a bit more
5: of a broader audience, which is not so much hardcore scientific, um, then it's it's mostly about articles. um, out um, on, the, on this, this research, like also as, also as we do it here, I mean, this is basically what we do now. Um, we, we, we do outreach
4: and, and kind of push this, this research um, we were doing. So Sebastian reaches the general public to journalistic articles, but also other platforms such as this very podcast. We're happy to have been a way for Sebastian to talk about his research to a more general audience. And of course, you'd do well to keep in mind that we only looked at one scientist and researcher for every discipline. There are tons of different ways all of the disciplines can interact with society, but these three have served as some great examples of how science and society interact with one another.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Nature of Scientific Disciplines podcast. In the next episode, we will dive into the world of science communication. Tune in for more.